the Floatcast is brought to you by FlotationLocations.com. They are the world's premier isolation tank directory and flotation resource center. Their website provides the most reliable and up-to-date global locator for float tank locations and manufacturers. They house their social media pages, newsletters, blogs, and much more so you can remain updated in this growing industry. If you are interested in floating, you can find a location near you using the fastest and most comprehensive search engine available. <clears throat> if you're a float center or a tank manufacturer and haven't teamed up with them yet, it is time to get found. From educating, educating new floaters, providing premium advertising for float tank businesses, Flotation Locations aspires to be the industry's hub and they are proud to be an integral part of driving this industry forward. The Flowcast is also brought to you by EscapePodTank.com. The Escape Pod Tank easily fits into your home and into your life. It is a perfect environment for sensory deprivation, it's easy to maintain, and it looks badass. It is the world's least expensive professionally manufactured float tank, but don't think it's cheap. They've designed that thing to last. The exterior panel of the Escape Pod tank is made from 14 gauge steel, which is powder coated, and the panels are precision manufactured right here in the United States. They've manufactured the system so it disassembles and easily carries around tight corners and into smaller rooms. And the biggest panel is 48 by 48 inches. So you can move it right into your room. It's not a pain in the neck to move it to your house. And it's not one big clunky thing you got to move around corners. You can move it into a room easily and then assemble it right in there. The pump system is delivered to you pre-assembled and water tested. And it's professionally wired and ready to plug in. So you just got to get it, plug it in, and that's it. No messing around with this. Not knowing if there's any GFIs on it and you're going to electrocute. You don't need to set up any timers. It's all done for you. Installing and building your escape pod tank is easy and requires only simple hand tools. Your tank comes with a very detailed instruction manual and the guys are there to help you help you out over the phone and email as well if you need help putting it together. Once your order is confirmed, it takes about 2-3 to three weeks to get the tank to your location if you're in the lower 48 states. Putting your tank together takes about 6 hours and it'll be ready for floating in about 2 days after you fill it with water. If you're interested in purchasing, purchasing a tank, you can t- contact uh, Jeremy at escapepodtank.com. And the Floatcast, last but not least, is also brought to you by FloatForum.com. FloatForum is a new forum that is uh, free to join and is a free information resource for anybody looking to find out information about floating, uh, opening up a float center, or uh, buying salt, or what to put in your rooms, or whatever the case is. Um, so go check it out. FloatForum.com. And here we go. Hey, what's up guys? I'm Tom. And you're checking out episode number 14 of the Floatcast. This is a podcast all about floating, the beautiful world of float tanks, isolation tanks, whatever you want to call them. They're all the same goal, which is complete relaxation for the user. And uh, this is a very, very rapidly growing industry. And uh, right now there's a, there's a very exciting documentary being filmed about it by uh, the good people at Float Nation. And right now Carl is uh, fortunate enough to join us and hang out with us and talk to us a little bit about it. What's going on, Carl? How are you? Hey, how's it going? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Thanks for joining us. So, yeah, no problem. So uh, tell me a little bit about the documentary. Well, actually, no, don't even start there. Where did, <laughs> when, when did you first start floating? When when did you know you first fall in love with floating? Because obviously, if you're filming a documentary about it, you're pretty enamored with it. Uh, I'm not actually sure. Uh, you know, I've had that question before. I, I don't know. Um, I know it was a number of years ago, and I'm pretty sure I was just Wikipedia hopping. Uh, I was looking for different, more efficient ways to meditate, and then I came across this thing called the Gonsfeld Method. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. The what, but, what's it called? It's called the Gonsfeld Method, 
but um, it has a bunch of uh, iterations in, in the past, but basically it's it's a method of um, sort of monotonous stimulation where you, you use white noise and headphones, and then some people put um, cut in half ping pong balls and put them over their eyes. And so that gives you sort of a pure white field of vision or sort of whatever color you want. And then you have either pink noise or white noise kind of blaring at you through headphones. And so the idea is it's sort of a sensory, uh, more of a monotonous stimulation type of environment. And um, people report different effects with it. But so I was kind of looking at that. And I think uh, on the link of the Wikipedia page for the Gonsfeld method was this thing called an isolation tank. And I was just reading that, and it was just kind of kind of in the back of my head that, oh, that's cool, I have to try it someday. But I never really thought much of it, you know, it just seemed like some arbitrary type of thing that was out there. I didn't really think if they were accessible or not. And uh, I think a year or two later, I was in a small town in Michigan going to school, and uh, somebody had opened a center there. Um, really small town, really surprising. He actually went out of business within a year or two. Ah, thanks. But, um, but no, I went in there, floated a few times, and... I've been interested in it ever since. Nice, nice. Well, it uh, definitely is something that once you do, at least, you know, for a lot of people, once they do it the first time, they definitely fall in love with it right away. But for a couple of people, it takes a couple, you know, a couple of tries. Um, you kind of just went into it and then you started, did you start going around to other centers or you kind of just stuck around there and then kind of? Uh, no, I, I went to that one center and... You know, the most people you talk to, you're right, you know, a lot of, most people have a really great experience and they want to do it again. Um, but for the most part, it's usually people have about three to ten floats to really kind of get used to the experience, really, you know, get indoctrinated into what it is, really just getting used to the environment. And so for a lot of people, you know, they just might say it's relaxing or they might say, oh, you know, I was, I had a really calmative experience, but you know, I, I might try it again if it's convenient, you know, it, it takes something to build up to. It's like a practice almost. But for me, it was strange because I had a sort of a blast off experience my first time. I don't know what I was doing. I, maybe I was just in a weird state of mind or I was tired or something, but um, I was so scared I had to get out of the tank because I just went so far, so deep into the experience that I had to get out. And uh, that was my very first time. Wait, hold on. You were scared to get out of the tank? Or you were scared and you had to get out of the tank? No, no, I was in the tank and I, I slipped so deep into whatever state, you know, whatever mental state that I was uh, going into. It was just a really deep meditative state to where my, you know, the, the feeling where the, the your your body's pretty much just dissolving away. Yeah. Uh, that happened so quickly and I wasn't expecting it. Um, I wasn't really ready for it and I didn't really know what was what it was at the time because I hadn't really looked into isolation tanks that extensively. Right. Right. And, uh, that was just really jarring because it just happened so quickly for me that I just opened the door and got out and, you know, it was just, <laughs> it was too much for my first time. But, um, but, uh, so yeah, that's kind of my first float. Nice. Nice. So what made you want to make a documentary about floating? It was just, just, you want to, you know, I, I feel like it's the kind of thing that, it's such an awesome industry and it's such a beautiful industry that somebody at some point is going to make a documentary about it and just because more people need to know about it. And this is definitely an excellent way to, to share information and get more more intel out there. Mm -hmm. When you know, when did you first decide you wanted to do it? Like what made you want to do it, a documentary? I don't know. I had the idea in my head for a few years before we actually did. We started working on it, I think, January of 2013, just started planning it. But it was never anything serious we were just kind of planning it and saying oh that would be cool to make a documentary <laughs> we'll never we'll never do this but let's just plan it and you know just to, for whatever reason right. and uh i don't know things just 
kind of come together and, and um, something just kind of clicked with us and said, why don't we just actually go and do this? <laughs> That's and, awesome. What? Um, it was kind of surprising because we were scouring Google for quite a while saying, you know, telling ourselves there has to be a documentary out there of some sort. And there are a few little documentaries here and there, um, but there was nothing really fully comprehensive um, and nothing really tailored to our modern day. We, I mean, we're, we're so bombarded with information nowadays and we're, we're so tailored, our brains are so tailored to high quality video and high quality content that if something isn't engaging us uh, immediately, you know, we, we tend not to pay attention to it. And so, I don't know, we just found a need for um, sort of a, just a nice looking product um, to really get more eyeballs on it and not necessarily those who are searching for uh, float tanks on the internet. And so uh, we really just wanted to make a documentary for the common person, somebody who has never heard of floating before, so they can just sit down for an hour, watch this movie, and kind of get a, a, the gist of what it, what it is. Nice, nice. Now, what's the basic gist of the documentary? You kind of went around to different float centers from around the country and kind of just checked them out and interviewed center owners and, and people who came and floated and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we kind of got in contact with everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people uh, pertinent to floating's history and, and floating currently, center owners, um, people who have done research around floating, uh, new floaters, pretty much you know anyone we could find. And uh, we just kind of mapped out our route um, based on float centers. And we just took a month, drove around the country and interviewed, interviewed them all and uh, kind of compiled it into what they had to say. Nice, nice. And when uh, do you guys have a release date for when it, when it's coming out? Uh, I keep saying soon, but <laughs> that's probably the most annoying answer you could ever. Yeah, well, you, it's tough because to... you want to say something, but you, you can't give an exact time, you know. But um, no, we're thinking uh, February, mid February. It's first we said September, and then we said October, and then we said November, and then we said December, and then <laughs> January. But no, I think it's 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 pretty much done right now. We're just kind of waiting on some some things, and um, but no, it's almost done. Nice, so, nice. Probably mid February. All right. Now, do you have a background in film or and and making documentary movies or anything like that? Or I mean, I would love to make a documentary too, but I can't even. I can barely do a freaking podcast. I don't, I couldn't even shoot a documentary. I don't know, how, you know. So, do you have like a, a background in in film and? Um. Yeah, I went to school for television production, and then I've I've worked for some little um local pub or public access television stations and stuff like that. Um, or a public access station. So yeah, that's my background. But I've I've never actually made a full length documentary before. This is the first one, and um, I'm really both of us, me and Jory. He is uh, my friend and partner who worked on the documentary with me. We're very surprised at how this turned out. We never we never thought we had no clue what we were doing getting into it. I mean, we did a little bit, but not as much as we thought. We didn't know how much we didn't know uh, starting out, but it turned out actually a lot better than we thought. So nice. nice. Now, did you? A lot of the centers that you went to, was it like, uh, were they all float centers that are like established, you know, on storefronts or did you go to like home offices too? Because I know a lot of float centers start out home offices, you know, like some I read like a stat, like 60% of float centers started out as home-based offices and then kind of expanded from there. So did you kind yeah. of, you went everywhere or? Yeah, a lot of centers that we went to now that are big centers, like uh, most notably Urban Float in Seattle. Um, the float house in Vancouver, they were actually still under construction when we, when we came. So a lot of the centers that we went to 
maybe not a lot, but a handful of centers that we went to were still under construction, still opening. But um, yeah, it was probably half and half, half really established. Um, some of them uh, smaller centers and then others in people's houses, uh, mm-hmm. tanks and basements and stuff like that. Yeah. So. I got to say the basement's not a bad spot for a tank. It's real quiet. No matter what, you know, I mean, unless you do having like a parade upstairs on the ground floor, you're pretty much good to go in the basement. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of lucked out with with my setup as far as like how I got the tank in and everything. My tank is is kind of an older one. It's uh, I I think it's probably actually a little bit older than I am, believe it or not. But it's you know a fiberglass tank, so as long as you can keep it clean and everything, it's fine. But it's uh. You know, she's she's an oldie. <laughs> do you have it in a um, like a commercial, commercially rented house, or do you have it in a storefront? Or no, I just, I just have it in in uh, just like a separate office in my home, just like a separate side entrance, similar to, similar to like how uh, like a doctor's or a, you know psychologist offices type thing, like a separate entrance, separate parking, mm-hmm. and everything. And oh. um, yeah, it's it's all right. It works out pretty well. It's very private. It's very as far as floating goes, it's ideal because it's private. It's quiet. And it's warm. It's it's really it's perfect for as far as that goes, you know. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the centers that you went around, they all have new tanks. A lot of them have old tanks. Like a lot of rooms, a lot of a lot of tanks. You know, was it like mixed? Uh, it was a mix. Um, we we pretty much saw most every tank. Um, we got this. We got to float in pretty much every tank except for. I can't remember which ones, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a mix. You know, a lot of centers are really nice. Yeah. Uh, most of the centers are actually really nice. Um, a lot of them were very small, um, you know, one one room float places. But uh, yeah, it kind of ran the gamut. Um, but mostly people are. I think the tank that we saw the most, um, we saw a lot of Oasis tanks, a lot of isopods, and a lot of Samadis. Um, those are pre- probably the most three pre- prevalent tanks that we that we came across. Nice. So. All right. Now, did you you went all across the country? Did you stay on like the east coast instead of the left coast, or we wanted to, but uh, we kind of had to stick with one side of the country. So we started out in Michigan, and then we kind of worked our way up to Vancouver, and then down to Los Angeles, and then over across to Phoenix, Arizona, over across to Dallas, Texas. Um, we were supposed to go to Atlanta, Georgia, but we couldn't, so we went up to Nashville, Tennessee, Ohio, and then back to to Michigan. Right. So it was a pretty extensive trip. It was around, it was over 9,000 some miles. Holy crap. Just yeah. driving the whole time, taking turns. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was pretty intensive driving. It, it, it really opened my eyes up to the world of driving. And, um, I have a, a newfound respect for truckers. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, if you think of trucking and if you're, you know, you're an exploratory person, you like to learn new things, you like to listen to audiobooks, you like to listen to content, you know, you could, if you're a trucker, you could actually have a ball with your job because you could just buy, stock up on audiobooks and you can become pretty much a genius if you, if you truck for a living because like you can just listen to whatever you want all day long. But, um, so <laughs> I always, I always had this notion in my head, oh, it must be awesome to be a trucker. You can just sit there and listen to music and you know, chill out all day. Um, but if you think about it, you know, why, when you go on a long drive, that's probably one of the most complained about things, you know, oh, I got to drive eight hours to wherever, you know, I'm going on a trip. I have to drive 10 hours. That really sucked. And it doesn't really make any sense because you think people go and sit in their office chair for eight to 10 hours a day and they're fine with it. But for some reason, like when you have to go on a long drive, 
then it becomes painful. And I, I was thinking, well, why is that? Why? That doesn't make any sense to me. And I really kind of learned why, because, you know, if you're sitting in an office chair at your, at your job for 10 hours, um, you don't have to be fully attentive the whole time. You can drift off. You can do other things. You know, you, you can lose your attention. But when you're driving, it's so exhausting because you constantly have to focus on something, which is the road right. and other cars around you and everything. And so when you're driving for that long, for eight hours, your attention is just so focused in on your driving that it just becomes exhausting. Yeah. And, and there's no room to really to, to doze off or anything. So, um, yeah. yeah flying down the road. Flying down the road at 70 miles an hour, you got to pay attention, man. <laughs> I mean, no matter where you are, you got to pay attention. Even if there's no cars around, some freaking armadillo or something hops out in the middle of the desert and takes you out. Could happen. It's definitely, yeah, it's it's definitely exhausting, man. A day of driving is a long day. But you're right, though. I bet you a lot of truckers have the opportunity to really take in a lot of information and learn a lot and expand their horizons and to kind of look at things differently. And they probably just jam it out on the CB, making fun of all the other truckers and talking about traffic and weather or whatever. <laughs> the hell, you know, not talking about the stuff that they could and not learning about what they could. You're absolutely right, though. I mean, they have a big opportunity because not a lot of people have the, you know, who the hell yeah, is to eight hours to sit there and dedicate to, you know, <laughs> absorbing something like that but you could no it's just one of those things that you could really make the best of but like i said i i don't envy truckers i have a huge respect for truckers now it's uh if i ever see a trucker i, I just want to give them a hug now because it's just uh i can't imagine thanks for making the trek guys just give a pound <laughs> well you're gonna make it out to long island at some point if you do you gotta come here and float come on over and check it out i want to i want to go out to the East Coast. I've never actually, we've been to pretty much every state except for, I've never been to the Northeast, uh, never been to New York before, been everywhere else kind of except for Alaska and Hawaii, but um, no, I'd like to eventually, I'm not sure when, but nice. Um, there seems to be a lot of centers popping up out there. Yeah, there, uh, I don't know, when I first started getting this going, it was about six months ago and it wasn't, there was some around, it wasn't too many, but I'd say in the past like two or three months I've seen a lot you know, a lot of Facebook pages and Twitter pages start to pop up and, hey, I'm opening a center here or I'm in Jersey, I'm I'm in Pennsylvania, you know, places real close in the tri-state area, which is fantastic. It's just great because everybody helps each other and everybody like sends messages to each other. Hey, if you need help, let me know. And it's like, it's, <laughs> it's unsolicited, you know, it just comes, people are just willing to help you out, which is great. What I've noticed too is uh, opening a float center, it's, it's one of the hardest things to name. And I, I notice people are kind of, I think, running out of names nowadays. You're starting to see, you know, like Float Barn and Float Balloon and yeah. all, kinds of, all kinds of names. And it, it's, it's really tricky to come up with a good float center name. Yeah, I didn't, I I don't know. I had a lot of names written down. And uh, I, my mom actually kind of named my place. She's like, so what are you going to call this place? You know, you stupid, you float place. I was like, that's it. I'm going to call it the float place. I'm like, if it's available, what you just said, that's what I'm going to call it. So I just, I kind of went with that because I figured it was easy to remember. It's like, you don't even have to try to remember it. You just, where'd you float? It's like, I, I don't know, the, the full place. Like, it's, you know. Does she float? She floated a couple times. Yeah, she liked it. And it's funny because she didn't, uh, she didn't think that she would, was going to at all. She was like, totally, no way. I'm not going to go in there. I'm going to last 10 minutes and I'll be out. And she came out, you know, like 70 minutes later. I'm like, all right. You're right. That was cool. <laughs> She's like stretching all around, moving her body, you know, flexing. It's funny. So, what kind of um, people usually ordinarily? I'm, I'm, I know it probably runs the gamut, but what people ordinarily visit your center? Uh, I have to say, I've been very surprised at at the wide variety of people that have come. 
Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of middle-aged people, a lot of re- people who just retired or retired like recently. Like yesterday, I had two retired NYPD cops that came in that were, was a husband and wife, and hmm. uh, which was pretty cool because you know we were sitting there, they were talking. They were very friendly, very easy to talk to, and they both enjoyed their float, which was good. And um, and then they left, and then I had a 19-year-old kid came in who looked like he just had a long night of partying. <laughs> it was just like a total one extreme to the other, you know, like a cop to the party kid, you know. But definitely, definitely a very wide variety, which is great. You know, I, I kind of just wish that I had, uh, I wish that my tank had a more accessible door. It's the only thing I don't like about my tank is that the door is kind of on the side and a little bit awkward to get in and out of it. Um, so I wish I, that my tank was a little bit more accessible for people that are less mobile. Um, mm-hmm. Does that feel like I'd be able to get maybe even more people to check out the float? But, you know, in time, we'll see. But uh, yeah, as, yeah. Of, as of now, it's kind of just a mix. Yeah, it's floating. There are really a lot of nice tanks even coming out in a lot of nice ta- like the Isopod, for instance. A lot of floataways tanks. Um, you know, they have the hydraulic lids and the lights and things and additional features. But it seems to me that floating, um, for instance, you remember when the internet was kind of a new thing to be spending your nights online. Mm-hmm. And you would have you'd go online and surf Yahoo or whatever you would do, and you would have your web browser, and then you would have the one window, and that was it. Like you would have one window, and then you would be searching. And all of a sudden, this huge revelation came to where, oh wow, we can have multiple tabs in the same window. So now we could be in ten different web pages at the same time if we have a good enough computer. It's floating. I don't want to. I don't want to blanket it. It's not totally this, but it seems that we're still on the one window. And it's just going to expand even farther. And the the multiple tabs uh, are coming for floating. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I'm wondering what the what the tabs are going to be though. I'm wondering like how it's going to. I agree with you. It's going to expand. I just I'm wondering how it's going to. You know where it's going to go. Like I don't know. I'm very excited to see it though. Um, you're you're going to see a lot of tanks tailored towards um, or a lot of existing tanks maybe even tailored towards people with um, more of an anxious approach. So maybe clap light, clap lights inside of the tank or motion sensors that turn the lights on so they don't feel so claustrophobic or so scared kind of getting in and being disoriented and having to find the door, you know, because um, that might cause a lot of panic for somebody who's really an anxious person. If, you know, they get turned around in a tank or something and they can't find the door immediately, that might cause, you know, a yeah. slight panic attack or something. So I think you're going to see a lot more uh, features sort of tailored towards those who are more anxious of getting being in the dark or being enclosed, um, which you're already starting to see now. But you know, there's a whole debate too of you know how pure do we do we want to keep the experience? Um, you know, where it's just a, a box, a, a black box that you get in, and that's, that's that's the experience. And you know, how decked out do they really need to be? You know, there's there's that whole debate as well. But yeah. I don't think, I mean, the more, the merrier. I mean, everyone's going to want their own thing. Yeah. Do you notice a big difference in floats from like a smaller tank versus like a, like a, you know, a big, a float room? Do you notice any difference in the float itself? Uh, no, not really. Um, the, the actual float, if, if you know how to float correctly, you know, you, you know how to stay still and things. Um, not really. The things that are the most noticeable though are just, um, different smells inside of some tanks, um, depending on if they're set up correctly, I suppose, um, depending on the air filtration and and things like that. Um, Sometimes you could 
smell, uh, mm-hmm. different tanks. But um, for the most part, no, all, all tanks seem to be uh, tailored to their own experiences. And um, I haven't had a, I haven't been in a, a tank that's uh, been unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. Uh, I floated in three, yeah, three different places, and um, one was a pod, one was a, a float room, and then now is my tank. And I, at at first, I don't. I would think that like a tank would be the best experience just because it's the most enclosed and the most it's the darkest and and it's the quietest but like you said as long if you know how to let go and you know how to float it doesn't you know it doesn't really matter if it's a tank or it's a room or if it's a pod it's as long as you know how to keep yourself still and kind of just let yourself go then it's going to be a good float yeah i mean as far as the you know the experiential occurrence of the float it's pretty much the same but um a lot of the differences really are in air quality and maybe even water quality of just how a tank is maintained. Um, that's not really specifically towards a manufacturer, but um, so I guess there's different measures for what's a quality float. But as far as just having the actual experience, it's kind of hard to tell the difference unless there's a, a ream of light around the lid or you know something that, that disrupts it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that has to do with the environment as well. Uh, the room specifically and soundproofing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, tank maintenance is big. You know, white keeping. It almost seems like keeping the um, tank above the water line is more important than keeping not more important, but just as important as keeping the water itself clean. Because if you don't, then it starts to smell like a like a locker room, pretty much. It starts to smell a little bit like mildewy, moldy, and it's down a bad road. So. Keeping it up, you know, on top of the water is just as clean as, just as important as keeping the water itself clean is. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, and hopefully a lot of people don't slack on it. But I would imagine a tank would be easier to keep clean than a room because it's just a lot smaller. It's a lot, you know, you have to go all the way up a damn room wall, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's, but like um, you said, ventilation. If you have good ventilation, then you're good to go. If you have good ventilation and keeping everything in, in proper check, then you're good to go. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's a really tricky, almost art form as well as science is keeping the whole environment proper and kosher and everything. But uh, you know, I think as we move on, especially this year and moving on in the future, it's a lot of things are going to change, making the experience more consistent. I suppose um, maybe some regulations, um, some more more of a comprehensive understanding of how to actually keep the environment clean. Mm-hmm. Um, because I is this. Is this like an industry podcast, more or less, or is this more of a for? Um, it's kind of split, to be honest with you. I've I've had, from what I could tell from the downloads, I'm, they're pretty split. A lot of them are people that want to know about floating and and looked up floating on YouTube or whatever the case was, and just came across this. Um, and some of the a lot of them are centers, I think, mm. but I can't really tell for sure. Oh, I just didn't because I didn't want to go off into a boring tangent. No, about, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, <laughs> I go off into boring tangents all the time, and people still listen. Apparently, <laughs> I, I don't even remember what I was talking about. But. <laughs> no, it's uh, you talk about like there, there being a standard, like some sort of standard, like for as far as keeping the tanks clean and everything. But I think at some point there there should be and there will be some sort of standard across the board for uh, you know this is what should be done. This is how it should be done, and this is kind of the standard. So. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's a really unique environment, and um, you know, a lot of the the regulators really don't know what to do with it, even still today. Even people at the very top of the the echelon of 
of water safety and um you know it'll it'll change eventually but it's it is it is a really important avenue because this is you know people's health and safety um you know they're they're entrusting in a in a commercial setting to with you know they, they get naked in a in a room essentially and immerse themselves in water that people have used before and you're breathing air and a thing and you know it is important to really have their safety in in the tip of your mind but yeah um, and it's uh where the industry's at now like if something happened to somebody if somebody got sick like it would scar the industry it wouldn't you know it's not going to hurt the well obviously it would destroy the business but it would it would really hurt the industry as a whole so yeah it's just um you know, there's different reasons why things have occurred, but, um, you know, moving forward, you're starting to see more things are getting cheaper things, you know, just like any other thing. And, um, you know, soon I think the days of, of saran wrapping tanks together and stuff like that is going to kind of go away and you're going <laughs> to see things that are more certified, um, and, and reliable, but, um, have you seen, you know, uh, have you seen Shane's tank yet? Shane's new tank? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I like it. I'm very yeah, excited. forward to that. Uh, that's definitely something that I would consider getting for myself. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good tanks that are out there that are not not that expensive. That are that are quality. There's that tank, the Escape Pod tank, is real nice. Um, and that's he actually just redid it, and he added. Um, Jeremy was telling me that he added like a trap door. So that you can get to like his heating mechanism, you can get to all that stuff to try to like if you need to repair it, and which is excellent because I know in my tank, like if my heating mechanism broke in my tank, like that's that's it. I got to get a different heater and just leave that one where it is and put something else in line or something because that one that's in there is not moving. So well, you I mean, probably wouldn't want to market a tank with having a trap door. They might they might throw some people <laughs> off, but <laughs> <laughs> you're just gone, disappear. <laughs> <laughs> So what? Uh, so what else about the documentary? Anything else you want to tell us about it? We, or we kind of just got to wait for the rest. Um. Well, I mean, what else? What well, else? would you? The, primarily, the goal of the documentary was kind of just to spread information about floating and everything, and, and check out different centers. And uh, you think you did a pretty good job of that, as far as you know, what you got to see. Yeah, I think so. If nothing more, you know, it was a big problem with, you know, you wanted to know, you wanted to learn more about floating. And you kind of went online to do that and information was just not there or just kind of scattered all over or it's more lean towards a certain area. And, um, yeah, you know, it is, it, it's historically been a big problem to try to get information. That was a big push for us doing this documentary is historically it was a, it was a big problem with getting legitimate information out there. And it's a lot of it's out there. You know, the book of floating, um, is a very comprehensive book. Uh, sometimes rereading the book of floating really blows my mind with just how much detail is involved with, with that book. But, um, you know, we live in more of a passive society these days and, um, you know, so what better way to make some sort of a, a passive platform to get the information out than a, than a documentary. Um, yeah. it was, it was really hard to make because, you know, you think of a documentary, a doc, the, the whole container of a documentary is seemingly boring, you know, unless it's about something very riveting, you know, documentaries are sort of for learning and they're, they're seen as sort of boring. And so this is the hardest thing in the world to make because it's literally about a box of water. And so like, how do you fill an hour movie just talking about a box of water? And so it was kind of hard, but 
one of the biggest things and why it's kind of been taking so long is uh, we we just had so much footage. We had so much. We we originally made something, put it together. Uh, it was about four hours long. Um, <laughs> and we cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. Now it's about an hour. Uh, we were going to make make it an hour and a half, but I think an hour is just about right for this subject matter. Uh, yeah, an so- hour is a good length for a doc. You, you see if like an hour and a half or two hours documentary, it's like, all right, that's like... You gotta dedicate something to that, and I was like, "All right, let me throw this on and see what see what this guy's talking about here." You can kind of swing that, but you get like a two hour documentary or something, an hour and a half. It's like oh, I don't have that kind of time. I got stuff to do. I barely, yeah. I barely have time to find enough time to float. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think an hour hour will do. Um, but uh, we just have so much footage, so much material that uh, it was it was really a challenge to pick and choose what we wanted in there. Um, a lot of stuff's left out because it's just such a broad topic and we just kind of had to reevaluate what we wanted to say and who we're tailoring it towards. And um, so hopefully it'll be good. There comes a point in time where, you know, you've been working on something for so long and you've watched it so many times that you, it, it works in its own form of monotonous stimulation almost to where you have no idea, you know, you've been editing video for hundred hours and after a while it's just you have zero idea of what you're even watching anymore. <laughs> seen it so many times and it's just like a, it's a mild form of uh torture like those old sensory deprivation experiments <laughs> that uh yeah i hit the editing process is a real bitch the uh i had a couple guys here from uh from amc they're filming a new re- uh a new reality show called game of arms and one of my clients is on the show so amc came here and they filmed him going to the tank and they filmed me talking to him about it and everything it was really cool uh, Game of Arms. It airs uh, February 25th, I think, on AMC. Okay. It's like a 12, I think they're doing 12 episodes, and it's the same people that produced um, Deadliest Catch. So it should, you know, it's a pretty legit show, you know, it has some has some validity to it. Um, but when they were here, I, I asked the guy, like, at the end, I'm like, so, I'm like, realistically, how long can I expect to get on TV for, if even at all? He goes, honestly, he goes, I don't even know if you're going to make it at all. He goes, this whole thing might not even make it. He goes, we'll, some, we'll go somewhere... We'll film for 14 hours in the freezing cold, and they, <laughs> and they won't use one second of it. Yeah, and they won't use one second of it. He goes, you know, and I used to take it personally. It used to really upset me and piss me off. He goes, but then I just realized they had they just received a thousand hours of of footage, and they had to edit it down to 12 hours with commercials. <laughs> so it's like, you know, how, you can't really blame them for editing stuff out. So anybody that gets edited out of the documentary, don't. Don't hate on Carl. He had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. But that's a common mantra when you're doing any sort of television production is um, capture way more than you need. And sometimes that ends up working against you. But I suppose it's better to have it than to not. But uh, yeah, you're definitely right. Yeah. Hey, who knows? If you have a real good uh, a real good following with the first one, real good results from it, you could always put out like, you know, extra footage, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be posting all the excess on YouTube or, or something just to put it out there. Nice. Um, but uh, I'd have to look and see exactly what we have. But it's a lot of stuff. Like, I, It's probably about five or six hours. Nice. More than that, but just <laughs> all condensed and cut down. It's probably five hours. So. Wow, that's a lot of... But yeah, I mean, that probably took hundreds of hours of editing, just sitting in front of a computer and, and cutting this and, and pacing it to that. I couldn't even... I, w- I wouldn't even imagine trying to do that. The um, Louis C.K. actually edits his own uh, show, Louis, and mm-hmm. he said he does it all from his uh, from his i computer, his i whatever now Mac. 
He just does it all from his iMac right there on one computer and just edits the whole thing, the whole show. It's like, it's pretty damn amazing, man, considering he's just like a stand-up comedian. You wouldn't look at him and think that he's an editor, but (laughs) (laughs) apparently he is. I guess they make it that easy. Yeah, and doesn't he sell it online for $5 or something like that? Yeah, he does that. Well, he does his show. That he, his show, but his... Um, yeah, his his show, He I know he does his show that he edits, and then he has his stand-up comedy that he does, he produces and edits that himself, and then he sells it online for 5 bucks. And he was like the first person to start doing that, and now I think a lot of the stand-up comedians are starting to go that route because they realize that they can, you know, which yeah. I think is good for them because they should get they should get the most money for what they're putting out. They should get more than than whoever else produces it or, or releases it or whatever, however it works. I don't know. But they should definitely get the most money. So I think it's good that they're starting to do that. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. when, when your documentary comes out, is it going to be, is it free or is it, uh, like where, where, you know, how do people get it? Um, I have no idea. We haven't really thought about it yet. Uh, we want to get it as far and wide as we can, but we're not really sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I want it to be online for free eventually, but uh, or maybe even initially, but mm-hmm. I, I have no clue. I haven't even thought about it yet. <laughs> so, All right. um, yeah, I, I don't know. All right. All right. Well, once uh, once you got some definitive stuff and you know exactly when it's going to be released and everything, definitely let us know. Uh, shout out to all my listeners here and tweet it out and you know, etc. Help you spread the word, like all of you, all of you listeners will also do, right? Right. Help my man here spread the word. And, uh, uh, yeah. Are there? Are you the only float place on Long Island? Um, there are a couple that are in like Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and which is like technically Long Island. You can call it Long Island. And I know one just opened up, um, fairly, fairly close. Not close, but it's about thirty miles away, thirty miles west of me. Um, they just opened up, I think, like last month, or they're just doing like the grand opening, like sale celebration type thing now. Um, so not anymore. But I was when I, and it's weird though when I look on like some of the older like where to float websites like the flotation locations website to find out like where to float. Some of the older websites have a float like a, a place to float listed on here on Long Island, but I couldn't. I called the number and there was no answer and it was disconnected and I couldn't find any information about it. So I I don't know if it was open and then it closed or whatever whatever it was. But when I opened. You know, I know when I went and floated for the first time, I had to go to the city. I had to take the train into Manhattan and try it in Manhattan. And um, and then that's when I decided I was going to open my own because, you know, taking the train to Manhattan sucks. Who <laughs> the wants to do that, especially when you're trying to go to relax? It's hard to relax in this day, day and age, and it's really hard to relax in Manhattan. So I figured out here it would be that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really helps, too, with the float center if you have a parking lot. There's nothing worse than going to, to. I mean, there are a lot of nice centers, uh, specifically Float Lab in Venice Beach, and I think uh, Float Lounge in Laguna Beach. They might have a parking lot, but um, but those are nice areas. But if you're in a busy city and you, you're going to float and you have to spend a half hour trying to find somewhere to park, no. your whole float is pretty much just offsetting the the stress of parking. Yeah, you know? yeah, and not to mention that you're late for your float and it's going to cut into your float time. So now your hour hour and a half float is now. A, you know, an hour float, and now you're stressed out anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely not very conducive to to relaxation. But yeah, I absolutely agree. You got to have a place to park. You got to make it easy. I actually try and tell people, um, when they try and like a schedule appointments to come here and float at like around like five six o'clock in the evening, I'll ask them where they're coming from, and if they're coming from west of where I am, 
which is where the traffic is, I'll I'll tell them no. I'll tell them like, yeah, I think you should come at seven or seven thirty, just because I'd rather you come a little bit later and not come here all wound up for sitting in traffic on the Long Island Expressway. But it, you know, if they're coming from east of me, they're fine. But if they're coming from west of me, wait, just come a little bit later. It's it's better off for everybody. So and they usually, to be honest, they usually appreciate that. They usually like, oh wow, that's a good point. Okay, I'll wait. So it's better off saying it than not. So do you just offer floats whenever? It's no, really I, I do. Um, I'm still at my day job. So I get home usually during the day at about four and uh, hang out with the wife and kid for a couple hours. And then I start seeing clients. I usually try and schedule somebody for six and try and schedule somebody for eight. And if somebody wants to come at 10, somebody can come at 10. Like I have a guy who just went in at about nine, about nine he went in. And uh, I think he's floating for two hours. So he'll be here until like midnight or so. I mean, until about 11. And then I think he actually said he wants to do a podcast afterwards. So uh, after he gets done, we'll do a podcast. And, you know, he'll be here probably till like 12, 1230 or so. But that's fine with me. I got no problem with people coming to floating late night, you know. I'll, t- I'll take it. Mm. And I have a guy actually uh, coming tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for his second time he's done that. And uh, he's the type of guy who likes to wake up early and get things done early during the day. So I said, sure. Come on. <laughs> Come on in, man. No problem. So, hmm. yeah, so in short, yeah, if somebody wants to book an appointment and I can do it, I'll do it. No problem. So when you opened on, on Long Island, did you have to go through any hoops with anything? Did you have to have people come to your house and check it out? You know, it's, regulatory it's, stuff? You or? know, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> New York State, as far as float tanks goes, said that uh, the only thing New York State said about them is that they are exempt from pool and spa regulations. And Suffolk County had no idea what I was talking about. I live in Suffolk. They had no idea what I was talking about when I called them and asked them about float tanks. So I kind of just said, all right, well, goodbye. <laughs> I'm not going to start my own fire here. I'll see you later. Bye. I'm sure at some point they'll, uh, you know, they'll come knocking and want to check stuff out. So I just try to make sure I really do the right thing before they come and have all, you know, water testing done and have everything nice and on the up and up so that when they come, I could say, hey, look, here, I'm doing the right thing even before you guys came, you know. So mm. It's yeah. only, only a matter of time, though. <laughs> it's all right yeah though. yeah that's that's true that's definitely true yeah. but <laughs> i just hope that i just hope that they don't make me switch over to chlorine because uh from what i hear like the people that use chlorine in the tanks aren't really too crazy about the idea of but they kind of have to you know if they're mandated to you have to but yeah know. it's just the the whole debate you know with just having it in an enclosed space is the issue but um you know i think the best way to go is just well, I won't even get into that, but <laughs> <laughs> so but. it's pretty much you pretty much go with which way you have to go. Like if you have to use chlorine, then, then there you go. That's what you're using. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, if you really want to open a float center, that's just what you have to do. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, Paul. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us, man. Chat for a little bit. It was cool hanging out with you, man. Yeah, thanks. You uh, anytime you want to come back on, or when you're getting ready to release it, man. If you want to come back on, have a little. Have a little uh, documentary release party up on the Flowcast, you can. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, that's it, man. Anything else you want to say? What's your uh, What's your Twitter? You got a You got a Twitter, right? Uh, I don't know. I haven't. I don't. I haven't tweeted in a while. Um, ah. I start tweeting soon, but um, if you just go to facebook.com slash float tank, you can follow the Facebook. I usually just post on Facebook, but oh, okay. I'll start tweeting soon. But, uh, yeah, facebook.com slash float tank. All right. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with us. 
Thanks again to Carl for coming on, talking about his uh, documentary. It's going to be coming out soon. All right, everybody, keep your tanks clean, stay salty. Take care, friends.